Christ, we are all one, and yet we're different. Of course, that's the idea that that was uh, pushing in uh, verses 4 through 5. And the question, I think, would be, is how do we function in the body of Christ? If we were to look at chapters, well, chapter 12, after we've seen the doctrine that uh, what all God has done for us and who He is, we see in uh, 12, uh, especially in verse 2, that we are to uh, use our minds. Thinking is really important as we function in the body of Christ. We need to think properly. And as he got into verse 3 then, he said negatively not to think of himself more highly. And so what he was doing there was showing that we're to think in a, uh, in a very humble way, selflessness and then love for others. Um, Piper uses um, some phrases for this, about this unity and diversity, and it's kind of catchy. It's kind of interesting. He calls it mercy-loving, mercy-dependent, treasuring humility, Christ-treasuring humility. I'll put it that way. Uh, Mercy-loving, because this chapter started off with Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And you remember that was a key word that set up the rest of this to happen. And and as we offer ourselves as spiritual sacrifices, we are to, uh, of course, renew our minds and think properly that way. So it would be thinking in a uh, a humility way, uh, a humble way, just mercy-loving for others, mercy-dependent, or dependent upon His mercy, and having this Christ-treasuring humility having Christ as our very treasure. So we'd do that out of selfless love and uh, for the sake of who? Others. When you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you get uh, a list of quite a few gifts there. And what follows chapter 12? Well, chapter 13. What's chapter 13 about? Everybody knows that one, the love chapter. And when we look at that, we see that, well, that's a picture of Jesus Christ. How can anybody love like that? But we have God's Spirit, we have His Word, and uh, we start to, um, I guess you can say, reflect the glory of God as we let His love work in us. So when you look at that, and then going into chapter 14, it says, uh, whatever gift that you have and however you serve God, you want to do it humbly, you want to do it with uh, the kind of love that that Christ has. And that's what... uh, you have here in Romans chapter 12 the same kind of thing as he moves into verse uh, 3, not thinking uh, of ourselves more highly and thinking soberly. So that thinking as we go through all of this is really uh, key. Now, um, I don't think as we look at these spiritual gifts that we are going to do any uh, spiritual surveys here. We're not going to pass out any uh, ideas of uh, trying to get uh, what our one particular gift is out of this little list that we have here in Romans 12, and try to find out what your particular gift is. We're not uh, we're not here to to do that. Now, if we can if, if we can help and say, hey, you you know you're you're there. You, this is kind of some of the things you do. Well, that's that's just fine. But we're not we're not going to do a survey, and we're not going to make you jump through hoops to find out what your gift is. But uh, I don't think you really have to go around guessing what your gift is. If um, we look at verse 1 and then verse 2 and we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds and we're thinking of others more than ourselves and realize that we've been given a measure of faith, we do that and the ultimate is just you just do with what God has given you uh, through His his power and His Spirit. And um, some of these uh, people can definitely say, hey, this is what this person does and, and, and uh, you know, be right on. Others may have a correlation of a lot of these gifts just put together. But it's they're different, but, but yet uh, at the same time, I don't think we have to tightly distinguish each one of these in categories like fixed boundaries or separate packages. They, they can kind of run together. Um, and then when you look at these particular gifts here, let's let's start in verse 6. Let's read this. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, 
let us use them if prophecy. Let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, and he who exhorts in exhortation, and he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So Paul uses several there. And I think um, you'd say, you know what? I look at all of these, and in some senses, we all are supposed to be doing these things. That's not to say there's not a special gift out of these that people have, but in some ways, um, we we all should be uh, proclaiming God's Word and ministering, serving others, right? And, and teaching in whatever opportunity that we have as far as the Word of God is, and maybe in an informal manner or what have you, but... Uh, exhortation. We all should be exhorting people. We should be leading and we should be showing mercy. But what we'll see is that there are some um, that stand out more than others or maybe one for, for people and so therefore that that's where it kind of differs in being a gift. But they're, they're ordinary Christian virtues. These are definitely something that we would uh, we should have. But uh, Piper kept bringing out if one has an unusual joy about one or two or three of these the way that they mix together and with has maybe a fruitfulness out of that that might be that that gift that gift or gifts that he might have and uh, you know so different ways of kind of looking at that and and thinking about it let's have a word of prayer before we uh, start Lord we thank you for who you are, because what we do here tonight is all about you. At least that's what we want to do. And uh, help us focus upon your things, your truth, and uh, to have a high view of you and the very sufficiency of Scripture so that we would proclaim your supremacy. And thank you for gifting every one of your people. All Christians have been gifted to be able to use what you have given them in a way that's different than everybody else, but there it's to support the whole body. And thank you, Lord. And we uh, pray that we can learn better how to function in the whole body of Christ, locally and uh, universally, so that you would be glorified. Guide us in this truth. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, we start in uh, verse 6, and uh, one thing that uh, he says then, uh, after talking about us being members in, in the body, he says, well, then having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, and grace and gifts here are kind of uh, related. Uh, same thing, everybody has been graced by God. And it's not just salvation grace here, but it's it's a grace to be able to minister and work in the body of Christ. Then he says, let us use them. And you'll notice that probably if your translation has let us use them, it's uh, done in italics. Do you see that? Let us use them. My translation has that. That means in the Greek, it's not really there as you see it in the English, but it is very much implied in the way that the tense is uh, laid out and the combination. Um, and I think he would, uh, in the context of it all, and I'm using Piper notes here quite a bit tonight, but what he was saying there was, let us use them using the context humbly. Okay, if you have if you have the gift of prophecy, use it. Uh, if you have the gift of ministry, use it. And there it says, "Let us use it." Use it humbly. You know, in the way think the way that you're supposed to be thinking. If you have your proper thinking, then you will be thinking in a way that will not be worldly, and it will not be about yourself, but it'll be about others. And so there, that's why he would probably be saying that. Um, that's interesting. I hadn't heard anybody else say that, but uh, I, I don't think I could really disagree with that. I mean, we could, whether it's in the, in the text or not, it's not necessarily in the text, but it could be something along that line. Uh, the word prophecy is the first of these 
these gifts that are listed. And the word is propheteia. We get our English word prophecy from. And it means to tell forth. It means to speak forth. And it can mean to say something beforehand. You know, like God had the prophets in the Old Testament. They didn't always just tell what was going to happen in the future. It would be proclaiming God's word, but a lot of times they would tell something in the future. And it definitely can mean that. We're not going to take that way, but it doesn't always have to mean uh, telling future things. Uh, it's, it definitely has the idea behind it in proclaiming, speaking forth, telling forth. Uh, it takes in the idea where there's a spokesman for God. He's, when you think of Moses... He was considered to be one who was a prophet, and he spoke God's word. Actually, Aaron did a lot of that, didn't he? Because Moses said he couldn't speak. <laughs> but he actually did wind up speaking to Pharaoh uh, quite a bit anyway. But uh, he was announcing or proclaiming truth from God. And so it gets that idea. God has a spokesman. And that would be one idea of this gift. It, it, it can mean to instruct, it can mean to admonish, it can mean to warn, to rebuke, to correct, to comfort and encourage. And it doesn't necessarily have to go along with teaching. It can. It certainly can. But teaching is listed as a, another one even by itself here later on in this section. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a pastor teacher doing this. It can be uh, anybody in a sense, but it's a particular gift that somebody stands out with that. You know, he can see some things that need to be spoken about. He wants to admonish. He wants to correct or encourage somebody. And more than just encouraging, it's he's speaking forth from God. He stands in front of another person or persons, and uh, he, he speaks for God in that sense. Um, I think the question would be, okay, what does this gift of prophecy refer to? Uh, how does it relate to Scripture? And um, is this exercise today? And how do we use it in our proportion, proportion to our faith that we've all been given? You right? Uh, I think those would be questions that we'd, we'd be asking. So what does this mean? Is this, is this here for today? I, I think definitely it is. I, I think that um, if one wanted to take it in a simplistic way, one who is proclaiming God's truth. Uh, and he has a, a gift of doing that. Uh, but somebody could have something that um, the Lord has laid on their heart and they need to bring it to somebody else, another individual, maybe a group, something like that. We've seen where uh, people have used it that way. Um, now, here's what... I'll give you a couple of different um, thoughts on that from different people. If you go back to Calvin, um, in his commentary, he saw it as uh, interpreting Scripture. Um, and he said, so that a prophet is an interpreter of God's will. He said, okay, here's God's will. Uh, a prophet interprets God's will. And he says, at this day, and that was during the time of Calvin, which had been in the 1500s, it's hardly anything else than the right understanding of the Scripture and the peculiar faculty of explaining it. So to Calvin, he says, it's taking Scripture that is here and explaining what it says. Um, during the same uh, century, you had he was from Switzerland, or I mean he was ministering in Geneva. In Zurich, which is in Switzerland also, there were pastors who would come together during the week and they'd call it prophesying. They they were going to do prophesying. So what are they doing? Well, what they did is they, they would share their exegetical and expositional and practical applications together for a particular text, whatever they had gleaned from the Scripture, and that would help them serve more effectively uh, as they ministered the Word that week to people. And they call that prophesying. So that's a little bit different than what we would probably ordinarily think. But basically, it was something like what Calvin was saying. These guys were Calvinists then. They were reformers. But they took it as uh, it's a gift of taking the Scripture, understanding it, explaining it, applying those truths. And so they took it that way. Um, another observation... Um, 
you think of um, Old Testament uh, prophets speaking for God, and sometimes he would describe the moral condition of the people without even forth-telling. It's just saying the way that it is here right now. I've heard of people come into uh, a church. They might be members of the church or they might be something somewhere out of the church. And This is coming from a little bit different view, but they can definitely see things that are right and things that are wrong, and they come in and they more or less uh, speak of the conditions of this is the way it is. They they have this gift, and sometimes uh, some people could say it's it's a curse because they have to tell some things that people don't want to hear. As you you look back in the Old Testament, and that's what happened a lot. Old Testament prophets just spoke truth from God, and they were not favored by it at all. It was a hard thing to do, and of course, poor Jeremiah. Uh, we know. <laughs> He was called the weeping prophet because he was having to say things from God that the people did not want to listen to. And of course, you can go on down through all the list of the prophets and they weren't too highly favored. Uh, when one calls for repentance or warning of judgments to come. So, you know, I think there is a sense that one can just take just knowledge and maybe it's it's a special gift somebody can you know interpret in, in the fact of what's happening right at, at that spot or where they're at and be able to give truths that people maybe hadn't thought about just good insights good gleanings from that still using scripture i think the the ultimate uh and who knows one can be wrong in, in or right it could be truthful all the way uh, it's just like whenever one teaches or preaches the Word, that person is not inspired. Now, God's Word is, but the way that it could be interpreted could be wrong, but yet it's still proclaiming. And uh, so, therefore, uh, not all of that kind of prophecy would necessarily be inspired. And I'm not getting away from, as far as the truth is concerned, we have the 66 books of the Bible, or we have the whole Bible, the New Testament, or all as one, however we want to take from that, but we have a whole that God has given. It's complete. The Word of God is done. We don't have chapters on. And if we do, then uh, we're saying that, well, this is inspired and this is more, or this is something just as good as God's written truth. Um, I, I, I think we can get good insight uh, from people, but it's not going to be anything new with what God's Word is here, but it might be of how it can be applied to a local body. Um, let's go through, oh, just a few scriptures. This is pro Out of all these gifts, this is probably the most controversial of them all because there are people who say that um, there's no place today for this this prophecy that we're talking about. Others will say, well, absolutely there is. And it, and a lot of it depends on how they define that, uh, where they're saying that it's, it's uh, proclaiming God's Word. And then there are others who take it as, um, God has spoke to me, and um, what I'm telling you right here is equal with the Word of God. And that's another view. And then there's another. There's probably four or five different views, at least, on this. But... Um, and I'm not so sure where exactly you know I would land on it. I definitely say it is something that is uh, proclaiming, and um, I would say it's proclaiming truth, and um, that that is what's most important. Uh, and where, of course, what is truth is going to be something that's going to be very uh, in line with God's word. In First Corinthians 14, where you have prophecy and tongues and Paul has just stated in chapter 12 you know there are greater gifts than tongues and then he goes into 13 that they were very prideful in Corinth that was uh, that was the problem so he had to address that issue so he takes three chapters on it we get in the chapter 14 he says hey listen uh, you have tongues well that's fine and dandy but I would pray that everybody would have prophecy to be able to proclaim the truth of God's Word. Um, he says in verse verse 3, But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men, versus he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself 
but he who prophesies edifies the church. And this is why he weighed this, uh, I think, much more than tongues in the sense that prophecy is going to be for an edification of the whole church. It's something to be desired. And so that's how Paul used it there, you know, as as he is comparing it to tongues and, and showing that, hey, this can um, be for edification, exhortation. You can comfort people with it. Um, you go to First Peter 4. Now that came from Paul. Let's see what Peter has to say. Four eleven. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. And it kind of sounds like the Romans twelve. If anyone ministers, let him do it. There's that. Let him do it. Uh, an action, and these are in italics too. As with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The whole point is that it's for God's glory, but you are to use it. And here he's using the word speak. If anyone speaks, it's something that would be in line with uh, the speaking gifts. Remember we were talking last week, there are speaking gifts and then there are serving gifts. If you want to kind of divide it up that way. You know, teaching and in this sense prophesying. Um, in another sense, then you have ministry, ministering. Uh, uh, Romans 12, what, what are some of the other gifts you know that, that you have there? They would be uh, a serving gift. So, uh, he says, whatever you have, you do it. This In this particular case, it could even be something there, as he's saying, one who speaks here, the oracles of God, could be something that would be prophecy. Just, just speaking um, truth of God. Whether it be something that was revealed there, that like Peter himself, that, that could have written down. But if you have that, do it. If you minister, do that. Um, go back to 1 Corinthians 14. Should have gone there earlier. 24 and 25. And he's still speaking about um, tongues. And he really gives the reason for tongues in chapter 14. Um, he says tongues really are a sign to unbelievers. It was a sign. And he used Old Testament passage to draw upon that, verse 21. Then in 22, he says that. We'll move to 24 here real quick. But 22 says, Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there comes in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you're out of your mind? You know, if they hear what sounds to them like gibberish, uh, some other language, they can't understand it. He says, um, listen, they're not going to get it. But he says, but if all prophesy... And an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, brings him to repentance, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. If you have something that's going on, they don't understand, it's totally fruitless. And Paul has said that in 14, but if you have something that is understandable, if all of you can prophesy, if all of you can preach bringing out God's truth and God's Word, then people can be convinced and convicted and bring them to repentance and bring them to worship God. So, as he pits prophecy versus tongues, it's quite quite an important gift, isn't it? An important thing to do. Um, Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse... And this word actually is is dealing with, uh, and you're familiar with this passage, um, preach the word, that would be something that would be verbal, it would be speaking, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. So Paul tells Timothy, 
Timothy is actually you know the pastor there, but he says preach the word, do it always, whether it's a desirable time to do it or not. Always be preaching that, and I think that is the whole key that anything that we would do or speak that it would be something in line with what God's word is, whether we are quoting a an actual passage right out of scripture or saying something what it's about or saying something that would line up with it that would be uh, maybe um, uh, encouraging to the body of Christ. It's always being able to, to do that, put it into place. Um, so if you go back to your First Corinthians 14.1, all of us, I guess, there in one sense would be to desire earnestly to be able to prophesy. Or well, if you don't have that gift. Well, I still think it's saying that can all of us be able to proclaim God's truth? Now, that's a command there. Now, there's going to be others who have a special gift with that, being able to handle it, but in another sense, we all are to give God's truth, aren't we? To proclaim it. And, you know, when it's talking about gifts here, I don't want to go beyond, you know, something and say, well, this is what this means. It means we all have to prophesy. But it's kind of interesting as you go through gifts, a lot of times, even though we may not be specialized in any of those, uh, there's, we're still to do some of these things just by the power of God's Spirit anyway. Um, I would say that it is valid a day and it is something that uh, would be in the sense that I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen here in the future, but if I'm proclaiming truth, it, it could be something dealing with that kind of prophecy or something that would be in line with that. Um, maybe something. sometimes somebody has something to say that might have really good place for that moment um, that can bring conviction, that can bring exhortation, upbuilding uh, the faith. Now, there can be an objection to that. And go to Ephesians 2. So I'm just... Uh, I'm really probably going to confuse everybody now because I'm already confused. It, that's why this is this is debated about and it has been throughout the church ages. I gave you what Calvin said and some of the other Reformers said. Most of the Reformers and the Calvinists would say... Which, you know, we take most of their views, but they're not holy writ... But if you take what they would said, they would say that that is simply proclaiming God's word and His truth, and that's really what what it means today. And um, that's that's easy enough. Uh, if you look in Ephesians two twenty, it says it's talking about the household of God or the church having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. The church has been built on a foundation. What's the foundation? It's the Word of God, right? It's the very Word of God. Um, the foundation of the apostles and prophets. What did they do? Well, they proclaimed truth. They wrote truth. They wrote Scripture. And that Scripture is what we have as a foundation, our very basis. We stand on that. We don't, and it's good to know that we don't have to add to that. Oh, well, here's a guy over here saying something. We need, we need to pay attention to this guy. Run over there. This guy over here saying something never been written in Scripture before. We need to go. We would be chasing it down from here on out. I'm glad the truth is all right here. And so, then that's the idea of verse 20 here that he's saying, "Hey, listen, that foundation has already been laid. We don't need any of." further revelation from God because it has been done as far as that of this written body of truth. And what I'm saying is, okay, what I've just said sounds like I'm contradicting myself because it says here, well, then that's been done. There were apostles and prophets. Then there are no longer prophets anymore. And it depends on how you define it and, and how you look at it throughout the New Testament. Uh, if you uh, simply say that it's proclaiming God's truth, it's forthtelling, and using that word the way that it's defined, people are doing that today. It's 
still have that. If you look at it as a foundation of the church, then no, we don't have those kind of prophets anymore. We don't have the Old Testament prophets, or in this case, I think it's New Testament prophets. We had apostles, and we had those guys. We had guys like Barnabas and Agabus and some others that even said some things that was going to happen in the future. But um, there was a time period when the canon closed, but still yet, as far as all of these other things, the teaching and the proclaiming and, and such, that still has to be done. So, now that I've uh, totally confused you up, <laughs> is anybody catching anything? It's a hard topic. It's hard to define it, but I think it's, it, I think it's safe to say that if we define it in a way of saying, this can be for today. Not that we're rewriting scripture, though. Okay, we're not adding to that. So that's that's basically how I divide that up. I've stumbled over this word for years and read different commentaries, and it's pretty difficult. But um, anyway, that I did go to Ephesians 2:20 just to show you that that's where some people would object to the fact uh, of this. And are there apostles today? I can absolutely say absolutely no. And I will debate that up and down one end to the other because if we have apostles and they have the signs of apostles like Second Corinthians 12, 12 talks about and they, have the, they are apostles like Paul and Peter and John, then we, we need to follow them and whatever they say uh, needs to be written down and uh, to go along with Scripture. But we know it's, been, it's closed. So we don't have a need for that foundation. We don't have a need for apostles. Although you will see that there are some um, some parts of the body of Christ that will call somebody apostle this, apostle that. They believe in those apostles today. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, what Ephesians 2.20 says here, that uh, there were prophets and teaching founders of the church and Christ was a cornerstone, that was all laid. We don't need that now. So, anyway... Um, what's the idea of any of these gifts? To exalt Christ. And when we exalt Christ, when we say, okay, Lord, let's say, take somebody who has, let's say, a speaking gift, and he says, Lord, bring to my mind the thoughts and the words Beyond even my preparation, if there's other things that you want me to say, Lord, bring that to my mind to be able to bring it forth to people to have the greatest effect upon not only the people, but for the glory of Christ. I've studied this week. I've checked this out. I've looked at other verses as much as I possibly can. I know there's much more here. Lord, if there's some things here that I need to say that people need to hear, uh, that they would be encouraged and and that they be convicted, and uh, I can, can console them and guide them. If that be the case, Lord, bring that out. Bring it through my mind and, and through my through my uh, my words. Um, so, and that's that's how Piper said that he thinks of prophecy. Uh, he says. Hey, I'm only asking now that to the gift of teaching, you would add this gift of prophecy. And that's, that's how he terms it there. I pray that way, and you can too, is what he's saying. Anytime that you have a, an opportunity to witness the, the Word of God to somebody, that you'd be able to say the right words at the right time in the right way, and that your whole self would get out of the way and God would just speak through you. How many times have you prayed that way? I bet you all have many times when you needed to, to speak to somebody, some lost person or somebody needs some encouragement. We all do because we know that we're fallible, but uh, if we speak God's truth right, uh, it's not. You know, His, His truth is powerful. So that's, that's how that, um, I think a lot of people take it as, as, uh, as a gift of prophecy. Um, What's the next one? Oh, by the way, in proportion to our faith. Okay. Whatever's been given to you, that's what you use. Use it up. Use the full measure. 
But don't go over and beyond it, you know, where you're trying to be like somebody else. Whatever the proportion has been given to you, do it to the best that you have. Use it. Use it humbly. Now, what what was the next one, Penny? Serving. Yeah, serving or serving or ministry. And then he says, let us use it. I think that's the whole idea in all these gifts. Uh, And he doesn't give us a whole list of gifts. And I don't think there's any way that you could list all the different things that different people do. But he gives you, you know, a a good start, something to kind of help focus on. Whatever you have, use it. That's that's the that's the thought. The the word um, serving. I bet you you guys know what um, what that Greek word is, or our English word, diakonia, diakonos, deacon, serve, minister. Uh, that thought. It's very practical. It's uh, often serving means to be very low. In Acts 6, it talks about the uh, serving there. And the word actually means table waiter. Now, in those days, verse 1, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, the the Greeks, um, Greek Jews, uh, in the sense that they spoke Greek but they're Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the, uh, the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve, there's the word, tables. They were helping the uh, people around there that didn't have anything. They didn't have any place to live. They would come from different places. And they are, um, you know, they're getting getting food to them, serving food. Um, and he's saying, hey, we should be studying the Word of God and getting ready for that and teaching that rather than taking the time to serve tables. They don't have the time to do that. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, huh, Nicanor. That's how you can say these two guys, when you have trouble with their names, you can. it's a biblical name. Nicanor. It's a hybrid. It's almost like Mick and Nandor. about that? Nicanor. That would even be better. Time, no. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Silliness. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they prayed, they laid hands on them. These guys go out. They go, and you have the men who are going to minister in the Word, but you have men who are going to be able to just go go serve, the, serve tables. They're, they're, they're deacons. Um, I guess you could say this is the first time you see this uh, in the church in a sense. Meeting the needs of, of people. Uh, these people don't seek the limelight. Uh, no Christians should, but they, they just have the gift of service and... and it's, they just, you know, it's it's lowly, you know, when you when you think of servant, servant, uh, you think of almost like slaves, those kind of things. We're supposed to think of ourselves anyway as slaves of Christ, but they joyfully do this, and and they're fruitful out of it. They they serve in that way. They just love to help out. Um, they're like this. Hey, is there a need I can fulfill? What can I do? They're there. Whatever needs to be done, they're there, and they, and they do it. They they don't even. Wait to be told. They just go and do things. Whatever, whatever it is, there's a there's a thing that needs to be done. They take care of it. They serve, and nobody even knows it. Sometimes don't even have an idea what they're doing, <laughs> or maybe they do, but it, it still doesn't matter. It's just that God has given that special. We all are supposed to be servants. Now, and there again, that's every one of these applies to all of us. But there's a special joy, a special fruit that uh, certain people have. And that's why they would be known as these these servants. So that would be a serving gift. 
We have speaking gifts, serving gifts, so serving, that was easy. Uh, another one, he who teaches in teaching. Okay, if you teach, then teach. <laughs> if you serve, serve. Um, the word there is didaskalia, didaskalos. Ever hear of that word? Uh, the didash, it's dealing with teaching. Early writings of the church, they had uh, things like that, the didash, all the, the teachings. A lot of times you see that um, we all are to do that, in one sense. We already mentioned that. But go back to Matthew 28. Jesus gives some instructions near the end of His ministry. He says in Matthew 28:19 and 20, Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I command you. And that's that same word, teaching. That would be to anybody. We are to be teaching uh, others, whether it be a one-on-one, whether it be one with two people or one with a small group, large group, whatever it is. Some have the function of an official teacher in a church or whatever, but um, there is that that gift of it. But we see generally there is the sense that uh, you know we, we all should have enough of the Word of God to be able to um, take somebody that doesn't know as much as us and teach them. You, know, you, you disciple them. You train them up. You teach them. And so you say, well, I, don't, I just don't know how to teach. Well, find somebody that doesn't, doesn't know as much as you do and start teaching them. You know? <laughs> and, that, and then you're, you're obeying that command. But then there are some that have that particular gift. <laughs> um, Second Timothy. There's always going to be somebody that doesn't know as much as you do. You say, well, I'm, I'm just pretty new, you know. I'm, I've only been a Christian for two years or something. You say, well, there's probably a lot out there that have only been a Christian for six months. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> you know what? When you're teaching it, I think everybody would agree. You You learn more that way than you do hardly any other way. Because now... You know, especially if you have a little bit of a setting with somebody, you sit down, you take take time with them. You know that passage, you know, or at least you know somewhat of it. We never know everything of it. Nobody does, but but it's it's a great privilege to be able to sit down and somebody's saying, "Hey, yeah, I want to know what that means." There's, out, there's somebody out there that, that likes that. Second Timothy one eleven, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Well, who's saying that? Well, Paul wrote this letter, right? Uh, he was quite gifted. He was a, a preacher. Uh, he was an apostle. He was a teacher. Uh, and there, there's that word there, you know. And he was in a in an official situation. Uh, go to Acts 15, 35. Here you have. An ongoing uh, ministry. You have Paul and Silas, and you have Barnabas involved. Verse 34. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. So Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord, with many others also. Well, that must have been an exciting place. Antioch. They were first known as what? Christians in Antioch. What a church that must have been. Can you imagine having Paul and Barnabas as teachers? And there were many others also. Boy, that must have been some place. God had uh, gifted many there. And, of course, they went out and they spread out from there. And, of course, they sent missionaries. Yeah, Barb. This is just a curiosity question. How come there is no verse 34? Verse 30 what? 34. Uh, 33. Do you guys have NIVs? Yeah. That's why. <laughs> that new inspired version. <laughs> okay. I didn't know that. Uh, mine just says it right here. Uh, yeah, they kind of do what... Um, ESV's good. NIV's okay. Sorry. Uh, now, the NAS probably has it there, but probably has a note down at the bottom telling about that. Right, Eldon? 
but it seemed good to Silas to remain there. And that, that sentence is in brackets, and down below it says, many manuscripts do not contain this verse. Yep. Um, there are manuscripts that the King James Version, New King James Version, uh, would be taking that a lot of those manuscripts are found around 1280. That's not to say they're not inspired. I'm just saying they take those. There have been since then a lot of manuscripts found from dating all the way to 280, even parts of John. That's getting really close. And even all the way back to the second century A.D., of manuscripts that have been found, fragments of John, for instance, and they and it never changes the text. Okay, it never changes any doctrines or anything. You say, "Uh oh, well, who has the right word of God then?" Well, the reason it's not in, let's say, the NIV, and what the NIV does a lot, they'll drop down. They might have a note down at the bottom. NAS always puts a bracket there. And that's why I, I like what they do there, because then when you see the bracket, you can say, oh, okay, that's one of those verses that's debated on whether it was in the original text or not. But they'll keep it there, go down and say, in the earlier manuscripts, that was really not uh, not found. It was found in later manuscripts, and King James has that. And that's why you have a lot of King James-only people. And they say that they have the received text. That's the, the, the it's, it's like it's, it's inspired, and everything else is not, and they're all new age. So you get this kind of discrepancy going on. My idea is just because you have a lot of manuscripts doesn't necessarily make it always right. It, it, it favors to have it, and that's what King James would have. It would have a lot of manuscripts, but the reason is it, it dates all the way to the, like the 1200s. If you try to get some that are way back into the 2nd and 3rd century, those are going to be hard to find, and you're not going to find a lot of them, but they might have something in there that King James doesn't have and vice versa. A lot of times there there might be a verse missing, and that's why that and the NIV won't put it there. They'll usually have a note down at the bottom, though. Yeah, it does. I just yeah. see it. Okay, but that's why I think if it's going to if if it's debated, it probably ought to be there because it never uh, is a discrepancy as far as God's word is concerned. And what what it really really comes down to is which set of manuscripts are we going to accept as far as the Greek text is concerned, and that's why you have that hot debate about is it the earlier ones or the later ones? Now I'm thinking that will that will sound but it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Probably is not going to alter a great deal in my life. <laughs> no. <laughs> and it's not going to alter God's word. I like to think that, hey, that's there, fine, let's move on and you know, it's it doesn't I mean, is it going to change any kind of doctrine? Uh obviously not. Does God's word change here? No. Uh, matter of fact, I believe in inerrancy. There are no errors in Scripture. It's just that we don't have the convenience of going back and reading the Greek the way it was at that time, and we don't have the ability to get all those texts together because most of those have been destroyed because we're talking about 2,000 years, but they were written down and handed down. Different families, groups, um, and and you can compare all the ones that they would say, oh, that, that must be errors. You compare that, and it amounts to very, very, very little discrepancy anyway. So, so never changes the doctrine. Never, huh? And so I can feel confident and very sure we have the complete Word of God here. Whether one translation has a few more words in it or not, we we, we can't go back and get that original, original text. It'd be nice, but where are you going to find it? <laughs> and even if we did, we'd still have discrepancy in the body of Christ. <laughs> it wouldn't, still wouldn't solve anything. And I, I think that's... Um, God God says that's okay. It shows man is fallible. His word is not. You know? There are a lot of other verses dealing with that. I think... If you you say, well, what's the difference between prophesying and teaching then? Well, I think it's between the ability to proclaim 
and how all we said in that, I'm not going to repeat all the stuff that I was saying, but basically what all that means in, in prophecy. There's also another ability to systematize regular, daily, or weekly instruction. It's a systematic type teaching. Being able to represent God's Word in a basis that people can understand. It's presenting God's Word understandably. I really think that's the idea of teaching, and it's regular. It's a regular systematic teaching of the Word of God. That's the main function of a teacher or a pastor teacher. If one is a pastor, he has to be a teacher. You cannot have a pastor and not be a teacher. And if you go into Ephesians chapter 4, you'll see that 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 is one word, really, pastor-teacher. A teacher doesn't have to be a pastor. But a pastor has to teach. And that means elder. Pastor, elder are the same thing. Elders need to have the ability, the gift of teaching. If they can't teach, I mean, that's a requirement uh, of an elder. They have to be able to teach God's Word. There are people that say, that you know, they lead in the church that say, well, but don't ever ask me to teach because I'm, I'm not a teacher. Well, then they're not an elder either. They don't have that, they don't meet that qualification. A lot of times I think people get confused with what elders are. Uh, elders, bishops, pastors. But that's not our deal here tonight. But uh, Teaching of the Word, that's the function of a, a pastor-teacher. That's really what he, a pastor-teacher is about, to teach the Word of God. Now, there are other things he's going to do as being a pastor, but that is the main thing. We were in Acts 6 earlier, and what were they about? About God's Word, studying it bringing it into their own minds and then being able to exposit and teach that. That is the most valuable thing in worship. Everything is, should be focused around the preaching of the Word. There, you know, what do you do at worship? Well, you, you, know, you sing and you pray and, and um, people read God's Word, all of that, but the, the, the teaching, when it finally comes down to it, that's, that's the focus. That's, that's what that's about. So that's, that's the uh, little bit idea of that, that Word. What's the next one there in uh, Romans? Exhortation. Exhortation. Pretty self-explanatory. It's what's exhorting is parakaleo. We ran into that word a lot, right? Para means alongside. Kaleo means to call, to call alongside. Uh, one who comes alongside one. And of course, we've we've seen where the Holy Spirit was called the Paraclete. He comes alongside. He is our resident teacher, isn't he? The Holy Spirit is. But here's one who exhorts. This one, he advises, he he pleads, he encourages, he warns, he strengthens, he comforts, he persuades. Uh, He wants to keep people from turning uh, into into sin or turning them away from sin and uh, bad habits that one is doing. He's concerned about that. So this particular person, we all should be able to exhort somebody but there is another sense where one really is driven by God to really use this particular gift to help a weak believer, you know, to walk beside one who is grieving, uh, somebody who is really discouraged, somebody who's frustrated, somebody who is depressed. Come alongside them and just show, hey, I'm here. Uh, hey, you know, to, to just to listen. Uh, Maybe to bring out God's Word here where they, they need to hear this for good comfort. It's wanting people to believe and follow truth is really what it is. They're so concerned about having truth to people, so they're considered to be uh, exhorters. And so it, uh, you know, it can really sound bad. Oh, that's one of those exhortation kind of guys, you know. Yeah. But uh, so many things that, that he does. Um, you could turn to Acts 14. A lot of scriptures and all these, and she had time to go to them and use it in different ways sometimes. But basically, it's, I don't think there's any discrepancy on on a lot of these gifts here. 21 and 22. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, look at this, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. 
Now, that's how they strengthened them. <laughs> they told them, hey, listen, you're going to go through it. We have to do this. <laughs> this is part of our walk. I just want you to know that you're going to have to do a lot of suffering while you're in your Christian walk. <laughs> but they strengthened them. Uh, and, and they made them stronger, you know, in, in the faith. But, uh, that, that's what they did when they, when they um, preached from one city to another. That's, they, they strengthened others up. So Paul, Paul had a lot of these gifts. Did you notice that? Paul really had these. You know who the one is who has all of these gifts? Jesus Christ. Uh, there's no way we can just be a ten on every one of these. Ten on any of them. But with the power of Christ in all of us being able to use ours, and you see the whole body of Christ functioning like that, starts to resemble Christ, doesn't it? You know, he's the head, and the body starts working in conjunction with the head. Ooh, that's a beautiful thing. And you see it sometimes. And, you, and, you, and then you hear about it throughout the rest of the world. You know, we don't hear a lot about the... We just hear about the Western church, the church in this country. But boy, you see how the church is functioning in uh, some of the third world countries and other places who are less privileged. And you go, wow, they put us to shame. Look how they're working. Look how they're functioning. We're just we're just fat here, you know. This is fat. Uh, not always, but um, giving. That's another one, isn't it? There's certain people who just give and give, and you say, how can they do that? They give with liberality. And we all should be giving. We all should do that commanded to do that, but there's a special one. Giving uh, with generosity. Uh, Ephesians 4, 28. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. There's the opposite. The guy might have stolen before from people. He's a thief. And he says, what you need to do is work, work hard, work honestly, and the money that you give from that, if somebody has a need, that you can give them money. That's a total opposite of taking from somebody. It's giving to somebody. And um, that's that same word, um, whether that a particular person here has that gift or not, uh, it, this person has a gift. He delights in, in doing this. Um, he wants to do it regularly. He wants to do it sacrificially. He wants to do it cheerfully. And that word generosity is hoplites. And uh, it's just liberal, generous, just giving more than your ordinary person would to somebody. Somebody says, can you stop? That's enough. You've, you've given way too much. You don't have anything left. That's, that's the kind of gift that this person might have. Um, I, and I think when he says this this idea of giving liberally or uh, liberality, God is not merely interested with us using our gifts, but it's it's how we use them. Having the, the spirit or the right attitude in, in the way that we do that. Um, I don't think it's it's just merely that we give or lead or show mercy, those kind of things, because we have different words after each one of these. Liberality, diligence, cheerfulness with, with these last three words. What matters to God is the passion that we have with what He has given us to be able to give to others. Being eager. Being zealous in our leadership, for instance, which is is the next one there. I think what matters to God is that we would do it cheerfully, that we would do it gladly, that we would do it with joy in our mercy. God gave us mercy and now we're doing mercy. We're we're giving that. Um, I think Paul's point here, I think the idea is... Look at these last three or any of them. It's just overflowing with mercy dependent, mercy loving, mercy self forgetting, having Christ as your treasure. Yeah, that's, that's the thought. Go, go to leadership. 
you exhort in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. Leading with a, a zeal, a burning zeal for Christ and for His Word. Uh, this would be an official position in a church, leading um, the mission of the church, having a, a passion for the supremacy of God and all things here, for the joy of all peoples and in leading. And this could be like the... Uh, the leaders of the church who come up with the plans, uh, elders, uh, it can be somebody who uh, gets the things organized together and what have you. I think Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.17 and uh, he says there, let the elders, elders this time, who rule, that word rule is the one uh, dealing with lead, to have leadership. Okay? So, the elders would be ones who would rule or have a, a leadership that, that take part in um, the plans of that church. Uh, anyway, they're supposed to do it with uh, diligence. Really having that burning zeal. Really putting all your effort into that. Make sure you're leading the way that, that Christ led. Last one's mercy. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Can you imagine having a, a gift of mercy and say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give this to this guy over here, you know, and I'm going to do this for, you know. <laughs> God doesn't want that. You know, that. That doesn't show Christ. But uh, it's being really sensitive to people especially sensitive. There are always people that recognize some of the suffering and the sorrow that's going on with people. They always, How do they know what's going on in the church? They always recognize certain needs that everybody else is totally oblivious to. And you go, and you start feeling bad. Well, I didn't know that. You know, you act like, I, sometimes I act like, wow, where have I been? You know, and But there's always certain people who have antennas. And they catch what things are going on with people. And uh, they just put their feelings into action. They feel sorry for people a lot. And they want to do something about it. They feel for the handicapped. For the people who would be homeless. Uh, go on and on. You know, the, the, the weak. They want, to, they want to strengthen them. That's just what they do. I've heard a lot of times when people say, well, the church doesn't do this and the church didn't do that. And it's like, what are you doing? I don't say that. <laughs> but it's like, okay, if you see that need, why don't you plug in the gap and why don't you go for it? Maybe this is what God is laying on your heart and maybe it's not the fault of the others. Maybe they need to know. Maybe they'll be glad to help you. But if they don't know or it hasn't been impressed upon them, how are they going to know? Time after time I've heard of people and you know, they're always blasting people in the church, but they're not doing anything. They are the ones who complain. And it's like, you know what? I think you see right something that could be done. You might be able to meet that need. I think I have that gift. Where is that at? What? Is that in that Corinthians? No. Romans? Ephesians? <laughs> the gift of complaining. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is we already all have that one. We have, that's the one we have to try to get rid of, right? <laughs> yeah. Just being sensitive to people. Anyway, um, you know, I don't see a big thing about it. I don't think somebody has to take a bunch of tests and then, you know, they come down with it and they say, okay, hey, here's your gift right here, you know. <laughs> Could be. We can always help people with I think, you know, you, you do good at this. But uh, whatever God's blessed us with and what He's given uh, and you, you see a need, you know, I, I think that's the idea. It, either get it met or go to somebody that, that can help with it or help you with it or whatever. You know, we have the gifts. The rest of the body needs it. So we're accountable to the Lord for it because He gave it to us. So we're to plug it in right there for the body of Christ. It's just reasonable, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we finally got through the gift section. <laughs> and he tells later on how we are to behave uh, as he continues on, whether it be uh, believers or uh, even unbelievers. 
That's how he kind of works with this. So it's this is living the Christian life, isn't it? Working in the church with our gifts, working outside the church, and in all areas. We have to be thinking of Christ and others, right? Always be thinking. Let's close. Father, we thank You for this evening. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your truth. And um, Lord, um, these great gifts that You've given all of us, and there's probably not enough space to go through what all You have granted to us and being able to use these for Your glory and to edify the church and uh, help us to be selfless and help us to learn more and more what it is to fit into the very body of Christ, being members of it. Thank you, Lord. We are so aware of this, but yet we always need to be being taught uh, by you of how, how and the way that we are to use them. Thank you for each and every one here and that uh, we can go out glorifying you. In uh, your son's name, amen.